Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to continue with our search for answers in regard to the great topic of the gospel about the kingdom of God, Jesus' favorite topic. We were referring last time to the famous passage in Romans chapter 10, which is often used as a summary statement about the Christian gospel. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. Now the question is, can one derive from a single verse everything we need to know about the saving gospel? One of the most basic of all rules for intelligent Bible study is that we take careful note of the context of any given statement. If we simply wrench a verse out of context without paying attention to its surrounding verses, we risk falling into serious mistakes. Paul here says that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What then do we make of Jesus' statement that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved or enter the kingdom of God? That's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Now, do those two verses offer us an obvious contradiction? Well, absolutely not. We know that Paul cannot have contradicted the statement of Jesus. So if Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only those who do the will of my Father. And if Paul said, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, how are we to reconcile that apparent difference of opinion? Well, quite simply by examining the context and the surrounding verses in Romans chapter 10. We may need also to pull in some verses from other sections of Paul's writings which throw light on this issue of what is the Christian gospel. In Romans 10, chapter 8, Paul said that the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we are preaching. Now, notice carefully then the topic under discussion in Paul's writing here in Romans 10. It's the word of faith, the message of faith, which we, that's to say all of us apostles, are preaching. I'd like to call your attention to an important verse in Acts 20, verses 24 and 25. Paul there, in his famous last words to the elders of Ephesus, described his own missionary ministry. He said that it had been a preaching of the gospel about the grace of God. Acts 20, verse 24. But in the very next verse, he further defined what he meant by the gospel of the grace of God. And in Acts 20, verse 25, Paul said that his preaching had been about the kingdom of God. As I went about heralding the gospel of the kingdom, Paul said. And that defines then what he meant in the verse before about the gospel of the grace of God. So in Romans 10, verse 8, when he speaks of the word of faith which we apostles are preaching, he must mean the gospel of the kingdom of God, which he himself stated he always preached, according to Acts 20, verse 25. Now, in Romans 10, verse 9, Paul went on to say that if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we're going to be saved. For with the heart man believes, 
resulting in right standing with God or righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now I note in passing that Paul spoke of the heart as the seat of belief, but the heart in the Bible does not mean what we mean by heart in our Western language. In the West we tend to mean the emotions when we speak of the heart, and by the mind we mean the intellect. But in the Bible the heart is the center and the seat of the total personality, with a heavy emphasis upon the intellectual, the cognitive, and the understanding. The heart is where we think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, says the book of Proverbs. And people understand with their hearts. You'll find in Matthew 13, when Jesus spoke of people not understanding, he said it was a failure of the heart to understand. And so the mind, then, is the critical factor in believing. For with the heart a man believes, and this results in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Verse 11 goes on to say that the Scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. And Paul quotes again from the Old Testament, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is going to be saved. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, there are more verses coming which will clarify the earlier passages of Scripture. In Romans 10, verse 14, Paul begins to tell us about the mechanics of faith. How does the faith process work? How, says Paul, shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in him whom they've not heard? In other words, how can people believe in Jesus if they haven't heard Jesus preaching? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, with that set of questions, Paul is about to conclude his important discussion about the saving gospel. But he has one more question to ask. How shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of good things. In verse 16, Paul adds, However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Now in verse 17, Paul concludes with a statement which must be taken as absolutely axiomatic as well as a wonderfully illuminating text about how the Christian gospel works and indeed the content of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 17, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by Messiah's message. Ah, there it is. Only a hearing of the message as it came from the lips of Jesus is sufficient. Faith comes by hearing, but not by vaguely hearing various passages of the Bible. It comes from hearing an exposition of Messiah's gospel. Messiah, Jesus' kingdom preaching, in other words. One must come in contact with the gospel as it came from the lips of Jesus in order for the genesis of faith to take place, in order for a true regeneration and born-again experience to happen. It is by contact with Messiah's utterance, Messiah's gospel and message that faith gets underway. Romans 10, verse 17. Now, I'm sure you'll be able to see from Paul's great conclusion in Romans 10:17 
that it would be perilously misleading to pull one verse out of context and make that a full account of what is necessary for salvation. Romans 10 verse 9 is very frequently quoted, but without reference to its surrounding context. Verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we're going to be saved. But there's a little bit more to it than that, as we see by the following verses, and particularly the 17th verse of Romans 10, where faith is traced to an intelligent reception and understanding of the message of Jesus Christ himself. Messiah's message is at the root of all successful gospel preaching. Now, what is so interesting about all this is that Paul's idea of how the salvation process works is based entirely on Jesus' own conception of how we're going to be saved. In Matthew 13, verse 19, Jesus refers to the seed which is the message about the kingdom. Now, as everybody understands from the parallel in nature and in the human reproductive system, seeds are necessary for the production of new life. Well, how then does this new life, this regenerative process, begin with a Christian? Well, Matthew 13, verse 19 gives us the secret. The word is the message about the kingdom. That's the seed that is sown in the heart or the mind of the potential convert. Now, the devil knows this very well, so that in Luke 8, verse 12, which is the parallel account in Luke's version of Jesus' teaching, we read that the devil comes and tries to snatch away that message of the kingdom from the heart of the potential convert so that he cannot believe it and be saved. There we have it. Jesus' salvation program is based on his own gospel preaching of the kingdom of God. The seed is the initiating power in the life of the convert. That seed or word contains within it the germ of immortality, the vital spark of life which eventually will lead to immortality for the convert at the resurrection when Jesus returns to this earth. So if Christians are to speak about the rebirth process, they should refer to the parable of the soils or the seed. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, said Jesus. But how does that rebirth happen? How does Christian faith get started? Well, we saw in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 that faith comes by hearing Jesus' message, Jesus' gospel message. Jesus said exactly the same thing. Faith, he said, happens when the essential seed message of the kingdom is planted in the heart of the individual. Matthew 13, verse 19, and Luke 8, verse 12. Now, this study of the whole process of regeneration, of being born again, illustrates well the absolute necessity in Bible study of pulling all the relevant verses together. What so often happens is that the critically important fundamental message of Jesus is omitted from the discussion and the rest of the text then float in the air without being rooted in the teaching of Jesus himself. This issue of regeneration is a good example of that. Many people know the passage in John 3 about being born under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But how much less attention is given to the teaching of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke about regeneration? In those accounts of Jesus' teaching, 
It's the essential seed or seed message about the kingdom of God which must lodge in the heart of the individual. The seed is the word of God, Jesus said. But that term word of God is not just a general reference to the scriptures. It's a much more focused and pointed expression. The word of God, according to Jesus, is the gospel, his own gospel of the kingdom. For example, in Luke 4.43, we'll find that Jesus was preaching the kingdom. And in the very next verse, chapter 5, verse 1, that preaching of the kingdom of God gospel is called the word of God. And so the seed which initiates the new life in the convert is nothing less than the gospel preaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Now the plain fact of the Bible is this, that the word or message proceeding from Jesus carries with it some portion of the life and personality of the speaker. It transmits something of the nature and the power of Jesus to the convert when he receives the word from Jesus. The word, in other words, has a certain potentiality about it, just like a seed it contains within it that spark of new life necessary for the production of a new creature, a newborn babe in Christ. That's the importance then of getting at the meaning of those critically important verses which tell us of the power-packed message of God, his gospel of the kingdom of God delivered through his son Jesus Christ. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God for your personal Bible study at home. And join us again as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.